0: It's good, to be, it's good to be together again, isn't it? I mean, so encouraging. I want to let you know if you're towards the back of this uh, group that uh, this, the shade is moving this direction, which is a, an act of God to uh, get you closer to the pulpit. Um, so feel free to move any time that the sun gets too hot or the spirit convicts. Either one will be fine with me. Uh, It is a true blessing to be together with you again and be able to um, participate in the corporate worship, to be gathered around the Word, to sing songs, to pray, to fellowship with one another. Uh, The first service was uh, just like this. We were uh, joyful and excited to see one another and be together, and so I'm I'm anxious to open the Word of God to you and uh, know that the Holy Spirit will be faithful in uh, delivering His Word to your heart that you might uh, benefit from it. So <clears throat> let's, uh, let's move forward here. I'm going to begin by reading for you a verse from Psalm 11, verse 3. This is, uh, I think, very appropriate to our time. See if you don't relate to this. Psalm 111 verse 3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In a culture like ours, where the foundations are being shaken, if not destroyed on every corner, how can we expect to hold on and remain faithful as Christians in this current climate? How are we going to remain worthy of the call that we have in Christ that Paul exhorted us to hold on to in chapter 1, verse 27? To walk worthy of the call. In a climate like this, how are we supposed to reasonably expect to continue firm in the faith when almost everything in our society is opposed to our belief system and shouts it down at every opportunity? Do you have a plan, personally, to stay strong, to remain steadfast? Remaining steadfast in our culture is challenging enough, but when we face it, in addition to our regular daily temptations, it seems that we're in a spiritually lethal environment. Set aside the pressure that the church is facing culturally, being a faithful Christian on a daily basis is daunting, isn't it? I mean, wasn't it hard enough to live the Christian life before all this stuff happened? Evidently, God think, thought we needed a little more of a challenge. And so here we are. You might be one that says, well, failing isn't all that bad, is it? I mean, look at the biblical examples of those who believed in God and yet failed. King David comes to mind. You remember him, how horrendously he failed. Abraham even failed. The man of faith failed. Peter failed. The number one disciple of Christ failed. So you might be thinking, well, it's not all that bad if I slip, right, and fall. Well, it's true that failing as a Christian isn't a novelty. In fact, it seems to be more the norm these days. Um, But failure takes on all forms, doesn't it? Uh, From the flamboyant flame out to the small misstep that really no one but the individual knows about. Unfortunately, many Christians think that if they can keep their sin private, then it's no big deal. And so their objective is not to stay holy, but to stay guarded, to remain in hiding. They think that if they can just keep from failing on a large scale, staying clear of those famous public sins, then all is well. But the Bible, of course, would differ on that front, wouldn't it? Because we have a Savior who knows our hearts, who who can read our motives like a book. We have a Savior who knows no matter how big or small our sins are, knows them intimately. And so every sin is serious to the serious Christian. Every sin is serious to the serious Christian. Growing in Christ and experiencing real and lasting joy is at stake in the matter. Greatly affected by how we respond to these things. Standing firm throughout the Christian life is, is difficult, especially in a depraved, depraved culture added with daily temptations. It may seem impossible to us. Fewer and fewer Christians seem to experience the unstained Christian life. I want to make an important point Point here the blood of Jesus has its effect on all sin uh, no matter how big or how small how public or how private they are the forgiveness of God has never been stretched to its limit God has never encountered a sin that he's unwilling or unable to forgive and someone might quickly say well accept unbelief and yet that and yet he overcame that in your life right did he overcome unbelief in your life he did for every one of us that know Christ. On the other hand, the stable, growing Christian isn't in a constant state of compromise or failure, whether with our culture or in their personal battle with sin. That's not the place we live, is in a state of compromise. The the stable, growing Christian experiences victory over sin and culture on a regular basis. This is what the presence of the Holy Spirit does for us. You remember what the Apostle John said about sin and living in it? Remember that? He said this in 1 John 3, 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Remember, practice of sinning. Not the one who's battling sin, not the one who's confessing and repenting of sin, but the one who's practicing it is of the devil. Now listen to what John said that Jesus came to do. He said the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. And what are the works of the devil? To disrupt culture, to ruin culture, to disrupt the lives of believers and unbelievers alike. He's in the business of destruction. That's what the enemy does. And that's what Jesus came to destroy, to destroy the works of the evil one. And of course, we know that the enemy's main weapon or primary weapon is sin. But if you have embraced Christ Jesus as your Savior by confessing and repenting of your sins and by faith have put your trust in hope in Him and His saving work, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that Holy Spirit aids you in your battle against compromise, whether it be cultural or personal. The Holy Spirit does that for us. You will see an ongoing upward trajectory uh, in your life towards Christ likeness, the longer you walk with Christ in the presence in the power of the Holy Spirit. As you grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will become stronger and stronger on a daily basis. You will be able to resist compromise with culture, resist compromise on a personal level, much more than you were able to this time last year. I, I don't doubt that every genuine believer wants to stand firm in their faith. I don't think I've ever met a genuine believer who says, no, I'm I'm looking to fail. They all want to stand firm. We all want that, don't we? We all want to stand firm in the face of growing opposition to Christianity. We're not sure how we're going to do it. You know, we've never faced it at this level before, at least in my lifetime. But we all want to stand firm at work, at school, in our clubs or groups or with friends, wherever we want to stand firm. For the faith and for the gospel. So the question isn't your desire, the question is your ability. Are you able to stand firm? Do you know how to stand firm? Even as a Christian, do you know how, what steps to take to stand firm? Well, our passage today will help you with that. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Many of you may be surprised to hear those words, Philippians 4. Um, although we've only been in Philippians for less than a year, uh, it may seem a lot longer because of everything surrounding our time in Philippians. But we've only been here since January, and here we are in the final chapter of the of the letter of the book. If you can think of Philippians as a mile run, four laps around Uh, the oval track we're on the bell lap here this is the last lap we're just about ready to conclude our time in Philippians so let's look at today's passage and see if we can find some aid in standing firm this is what it says therefore my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved so Paul was a pastor. You can't read that passage without acknowledging his pastor's heart. And every pastor's desire, of course, is to have growing and stable believers in their flock. One of the objectives, of course, of this letter that we've been studying uh, to the Philippians was to encourage joyful partnership with Paul and his team. This is why he wrote it. He desired the Philippian believers to come alongside he and his missionary companions for the cause of Christ in Philippi and around the world. Come be joyful gospel partners with me, Paul was calling to them. So to be a joyful gospel partner in any day, Paul's or ours, one must be a stable Christian. To be a joyful gospel partner, you must be a stable Christian. So what brings joy and blessing to those who have poured their lives into you? What brings joy and blessing to your pastors, your elders, to your parents, Isn't it a standing firm Christian? Isn't it what Paul was seeking? A fledgling church in Philippi to be standing firm. That's what he was seeking. This is what he was seeking in the church of Galatia. This is what he was seeking in every church that Paul planted. You remember what he said to the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 19? He said, my little children, that's a pastoral Uh, call isn't it my little children for whom i am again in the anguish of childbirth until christ is formed in you that's the heart of every pastor i want to see christ formed in you i want to see you standing firm in the faith sun valley church as paul wanted the philippians the word standing firm simply means to not give up not give in don't 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 give away anything. Stay in your place. Just just defend the position that Christ has won. Stand firm. This is a main verb here that kind of controls the thought of the first nine verses of chapter 4. Um, but also it's an imperative, meaning it's a command. And this particular command has a military ring to it. I can just picture a commander of an army on the, on the battlefront looking left and right to those who were standing by his side yelling, Stand firm! Stand firm! This is what Paul is yelling to the Philippians and what the Holy Spirit is yelling to you and I right now. Stand firm! Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't, don't lose your place here. This is what was on the heart of Paul and on the heart of every pastor We want our people to not collapse under persecution, to not fail under pressure, to not compromise when difficult times come. In the heat of the battle, every pastor, every commander will yell, stand firm. And this is what I'm calling for you today. Gospel partners, stand firm. Standing firm means that you aren't swayed by every wind of doctrine that blows in. You aren't easily persuaded by the latest theological trend, and there are many. Standing firm means that you aren't promoting yourself or your own interest while being indifferent to others around you. Standing firm means that we stop compromising um, with the world and with our own sinful temptations. Standing firm means that we don't complain even about anything, even about our current circumstances. Standing firm is a commitment to not complain against circumstances or leadership, even if the leaders that we are under are not the ones we would choose. And even gets to the point of standing firm and committing to not complain about the weather. Why about why are we not to complain? Why is it such a big deal to Paul that we don't complain? Because when we complain, what are we saying? We're we're not content with what God has brought us. We're not content with our circumstances. We're not content with these tarps. My feet are in the sun. We're not content with our leadership. They're not doing what I would do. We're not content with the weather. It's too hot, too warm, too cold, too windy. It is all a complaint against God. And so Paul says, don't compromise don't complain stand firm hold your ground I think standing firm and this verse verse 1 of chapter 4 can be illustrated by thinking of a train running on its tracks I'm going to use this illustration throughout the rest of my sermon so it's important that you understand what I'm saying when I say standing firm is like a train on its tracks it's a standing firm train in other words in order for a train to operate properly, it needs two tracks, right? Paul gives us two tracks to pay attention to in, here in verse 1. And in order to stand firm, we must travel on both of these tracks. Let's look at these tracks one by one. The first track to standing firm, required to have it, it needs to be firm and in place. But I want you to acknowledge right up front that, that Paul is a pastor to these Philippians. If anybody was a pastor, it was Paul. He planted this church. He was the one who taught them initially the things of God. He explained to them the gospel. He was their shepherd, if anybody was. He loved them. He cherished them, and they reciprocated. There was a loving relationship between them. I think any pastor who has spent much time with his people has these kind of feelings towards the flock that God has put under his care to to love and long for your people as a shepherd is the norm not the exception our our current pandemic has been very hard on everybody i've talked to about it uh, i call different people in the church from time to time and inevitably we talk about this and it's difficult on everybody i've talked to it's also been very difficult on your pastors and elders why because we love and long for you we want to be with you we want to fellowship with you we also know the importance the critical importance Of fellowship in the body of Christ it's for your spiritual good that you fellowship which is why we encourage you to be in church weekly which is why we encourage you to be part of small group this latest experience of the pandemic has emphasized the importance of this hasn't it it has to most in case you don't know this the rail in the railroad is spiked to a railroad tie So the rail doesn't just sit there on the ground and hope that it stays firm while the train runs over it. No, it is actually intentionally spiked to the railroad tie. This first rail, spiritual rail, that I'm gonna be talking to you about has two spikes, one on either side to hold it in place, all right? Spike number one, in order to keep this rail stable Secure and firm spike number one is this a Christ-like heart towards one another Do you see that in Paul's words there? I? Love and long for you That's a Christ-like heart for the Philippians. That's what Paul had I want you to see Paul's Christ-like heart for this group of people he was writing to and before I go too far in this explanation Let me defend my logic here in case you're wondering how I'm coming up with this Uh, can you see back just five verses to chapter 3 verse 17 Paul said to imitate me imitate me well chapter 4 verse 1 is your first chance to imitate Paul chapter 4 verse 1 is your first chance to imitate Paul imitate his loving-kindness towards his people imitate Paul Imitate his example. In, in one, we have that first opportunity to do so, so let's do it. Let's imitate the love and affection Paul has for the Philippians. First he says, whom I love. Paul was not shy ever about describing his love for the people receiving his letters. He always did this. This is, this is what Paul did. He, he outlined for us in this letter the, the deep love of Christ for his people. So is there any question that that Paul loved Corinth, the, the, the Philippian believers, or Jesus loves his church? I don't think anybody could question either of those things if you just read. Um, Paul outlined the depth of Jesus' love in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8. through eight. You can look at that right now if you'd like while I'm talking about it. Philippians 2, 5-8 describes the love of our Savior Jesus Christ for us. He said that he left heaven. Paul said that Jesus left heaven to come to earth to be one of us he emptied himself became a servant to the point of dying on the cross for people that he created jesus loved us so much that he died in our place as a king dying for one of his subjects that's unheard of why did jesus do it because he loves us you have heard this song we've sung it a few times here at sun valley And I love the words to it. It's called The Deep Love of Jesus. I'm going to read the lyrics for you. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of your love, leading onward, leading homeward to your glorious rest above. Verse 2. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore, how he came to pay our ransom through the saving cross he bore. How he watches o'er his loved ones, those he died to make his own. How for them he's interceding, pleading now before the throne. Verse 3, O oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, far surpassing all the rest. It's an ocean full of blessing in the midst of every test. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, mighty Savior, precious friend. You will bring us home to glory where your love will never end. Do you see the love of Christ? Not just in those lyrics, not just in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Do you see the love of Christ in your own experience? Have you experienced the forgiveness of God in Christ? Then you know his love. He endured all of human existence for us. In a similar way, The Apostle Paul humbly poured himself out for the Philippians. You remember back in chapter 2, verse 17, he said he's poured out like a drink offering for for the Philippians. He loved them. He gave up a promising career to be a missionary to the Philippians. He was regularly persecuted, abused, ridiculed, rejected, and ultimately had to give his life for these Philippians. He loved them. Back to verse 17, he said, imitate me. Do we do that? Do we imitate the love of Christ for one another? Do we imitate Paul's love for the Philippians with one another? We are to love each other like Jesus loves us, like Paul loved the Philippians. You remember John 13, 34? Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, he says. You want to know how to love your neighbor? You want to know how to love your wife, your child, your small group member? Imitate Jesus. That's how you love them. How did Jesus love us? I've just been describing it. If you can't remember, turn back to Philippians 2, 5 through 8. That's how Jesus loves us. Think of ways that you can sacrificially love those at Sun Valley Church. And this is always a challenge for me because I think we're a fairly loving church. But I want to ask you to love one another more. So I give you ideas from time to time on how you can love one another more. How can we do that? Well, we can encourage one another. You know anybody that needs encouragement at Sun Valley Church? Uh, If you don't, you're not breathing. Everybody needs encouragement during this pandemic. Everybody has life that is full of struggles and challenges. Encourage them. Send them a note. Email them. Call them. Ask them if you could run them an errand. Maybe you could support someone in the, in the church that isn't as fin- financially well-off as you by paying some of their bills. Relieve some of the pressure in somebody in this church. You can do all these things. I was out helping uh, someone in the church yesterday, and after I showed up, a couple minutes after I showed up, one of the shepherds in this church showed up right after me in all of his garb, mask and gloves and the whole thing, to help this gentleman prepare his, his yard. Um, you're sitting underneath a, a very attractive tarp. I don't know if you've noticed how attractive it is. Uh, you've, you're sitting under, enjoying the benefits of shade, not because the men who came last night and spent a few hours putting it up love putting up tarps, but because they love you. You're experiencing someone else's love for you right now because you're sitting in shade. This is how we ought to act with one another, how we ought to treat one another, how we need to prioritize one another. And he didn't just end with describing his love for the Philippians. He says, I also long for them. I love and long for them. Paul imitated Jesus, and we should imitate both of them because Jesus loves us. He also longs for us. You remember right before he, he went back to heaven to be with his father, he promised us that he would come back and get us. He will one day do that soon because He longs for us. And you might be saying, well, it's been a long time. I mean, He must not really long for us too much because He hasn't returned. Now, why don't you think Jesus has returned if He longs for us so much? Have you read Romans lately? Until the full measure of the elect is filled up, Jesus will not return. There are elect yet to be born. And the minute the last one comes into the the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus will return because he longs for us so deeply. Can you imagine being that person? You're the last elect in the door. The minute you confess your faith in Christ, boom, the trumpet sounds, and man, everything's going nuts around you, and you're going, that was because of me? No, no. But can you imagine being that last one? Jesus is gonna return the second that happens for those of us he loves. What a glorious day that will be. Paul reminded us of that day back in verse 21, right? From heaven we await a savior who longs to see us. In Philippians 2.5, Paul exhorted us to think like Jesus, remember, have the mind of Christ in Romans 8:29, Paul and God, Paul said that God's goal and plan is to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. We are to be like Jesus in how we love, how we honor, how we cherish, how we have affection for one another, how we love and long for one another. We are to reflect the image of Christ, follow the example of Paul. This will make us stable. This is the first spike in that rail, that first rail. I've been thinking about why the pandemic? Why God the pandemic? And maybe one of the reasons God has orchestrated this pandemic is to create this very longing in his people for one another. Let me ask you something. Do you long for believers more now or before the pandemic? Do you long for fellowship with the saints more now or before the pandemic? Before the pandemic we were looking for ways or excuses to miss small group. Now we would do anything to be in small group. I would say the pandemic has produced some fruit in our hearts to be more like Jesus, to be more in love with the saints, to long more for his people. I know that's the case with many of you. Loving and longing for one another which is in the first line of verse 1, is the first spike that stabilizes that first track. And having a stable track to run on helps you stand firm. You want to stand firm? Then pound in this first spike. Love and long for God's people. Spike number two that goes into this first rail is a responsive heart towards one another. The first is a Christ-like heart towards the saints or towards One another. The second spike that goes in on the other side of this rail is a responsive heart towards one another. You drive this one into the ground and you have a sure rail to ride on in your gospel train. Now, in the first spike, I wanted you to notice Paul's love uh, and affection for the Philippians. In this spike, I want you to see the Philippians' responsiveness to Paul's ministry. So the first spike was was uh, looking towards the Philippians, the second spike is looking towards Paul and his ministry from the Philippians' point of view. Notice what Paul says. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, that's Paul looking at the Philippians, I love and long for you. Now look at what he says next. You bring me joy, you are my crown. How did Paul get there? How did the Philippian church become a joy and a source of reward for the Apostle Paul. Well, listen, they were growing in their faith. They were concerned for Paul. They were willing to sacrifice everything for the cause of Christ and gospel partners. Wouldn't that make any pastor happy and joyful? It would, and it did with Paul. They sent help with Epaphroditus. Remember back to chapter 2. They sent Epaphroditus with a love gift to Paul while he was in prison. They financially supported Paul in his ministry. And most of all, they believed Paul's message. This brought joy to Paul. And not just joy, but so much so that he viewed them, Paul viewed the Philippians, as an eternal reward. This was significant. They were growing by leaps and bounds, and Paul recognized that, and he experienced joy and blessing because of it. A loved and longed-for gospel partner brings joy. Sun Valley Church people, do you bring joy to anybody? Are you a source of joy to your pastors and elders, to your small group leaders, to one another? Are you a source of joy to your children, your spouse? Wow. I have to mention to you, as I have many times before, I receive much joy from you as I observe you loving one another, as I observe you sharing your faith with your neighbors over your fence, as you sacrifice many things in your life for the glory of Jesus Christ and the benefit of this church, Sun Valley Church, it brings me great joy and frankly I see you as my eternal reward. I feel just like Paul does here. God has been so good to us at Sun Valley Church, particularly me. I am so thankful in so many ways. But I wanna ask you this question and I want you to really wrestle with it. How can you bring more joy to the people in your life that have poured into you, whether it be your parents, a sibling, a pastor, an elder, How can you bring more joy and be more of an eternal reward to them? This is what Paul is asking us to do. This is the second spike in that first rail. The first is to love one another and long for one another. The second is to reciprocate that love and longing with joy, with blessing. A love and long for gospel partner brings joy. Secondly, a love and long for partner brings joy reward. That's what Paul said, you are my joy and crown. He has an eschatological view of things here, his crown being his crown and glory. When he stands before Jesus Christ, his Savior, his crown is going to be the Philippian church. Are you going to be in someone's crown? Are you going to be such that you will be a crown to somebody standing before God one day? Ah, look at all those people from Sun Valley Church that are in your crown look at that this is what Paul is saying Paul was blessed by their responsiveness to his ministry he was convinced that the Holy Spirit was working in them and so we to follow their example should be quick to respond to the ministry of others in our lives the people around us the people sitting right here right now your pastors your elders the people sitting next to you your spouse your children This is how we stand firm. I believe that Paul is beginning this final chapter, the bell lap in his letter here, to communicate to us how this is how we all ought to view and value one another. This is how we're going to stand firm. This is the second spike in that first rail. You want to stand firm? Love and long for one another and be a joy and blessing to each other. That rail will keep you standing firm, or riding firm if you're in a train. I want to talk to you now about the second track. There's two tracks in every train track, two rails. The second track on which this standing firm train travels has five spikes, and these five spikes are going to go quickly because These are five spikes that Paul has already mentioned in his letter. These are five spikes that I've already preached. I'm calling them spikes so that they'll fit my illustration. Okay? Five spikes that you've already heard. I'm just going to review five spikes that will keep you standing firm. I'm looking at this by looking look at the verse, verse 1. Therefore, brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus. Stand firm like this. I've already mentioned to you how to do it. Now do it. Stand firm like this. I've just mentioned to you how to stand firm. Now stand firm. What are these five spikes? Let me review them quickly for you. Spike number one. Accept your circumstances joyfully. Have you heard that before? Yeah, a few times in this book. A few times in this sermon. Spike one in the second spike to keep you standing firm is to accept your circumstances joyfully. Paul was content and joyful in all of God's providence. Do you remember where he was when he received this letter? Prison. Enduring slander. A pretty severe situation. And yet he was joyful. At the end of chapter one, he says, rejoice in this I rejoice how are you doing in that regard? In the circumstances you find yourself in, whether it's the COVID situation, whether it's your family situation, whether it's your employment or lack of employment situation, whether it's however, or whatever you want to view are your circumstances, have you accepted them joyfully? That's a necessary spike that you must drive through that rail to make it secure. The minute you start complaining about your circumstances, any of your circumstances, that rail becomes wobbly. Drive it home, friends. Be committed to responding joyfully to your circumstances. Secondly, spike number two, we see this in chapter two, verses two through eight. I've already addressed it briefly. Spike number two is imitate Christ faithfully. Imitate Christ faithfully. As Jesus humbly condescended to serve and sacrifice we need to do the same for one another and by the way there's no way that we can condescend as far as he did that's impossible you can go as far down as you can possibly get and crawl on your hands and knees up to your neighbor's house that's not enough Jesus example of condescension loving condescension is detailed in chapter 2 imitate him faithfully there's no nothing too low for you to do for your neighbors and friends and loved ones. Keep the example of Jesus always before you. This nurtures deep and meaningful relationships, which is the second spike that secures that second rail. The third spike is this. Love Jesus passionately. Look at Philippians 3, 10 through 15. Can you see the... Paul's love for Jesus just oozing out of every word. It is unbelievable. Probably the the human who knew Christ best demonstrates a passion for Jesus more than any. He wanted more of Jesus. He knew him the best and he wanted more. Paul must have been on to something. He wanted Jesus more and more and more every day. He says, I press on. I don't look back. I keep moving towards the goal of being more and more intimate with Jesus. This is the third spike. Love Jesus passionately. And in order to love him passionately, you must know him deeply. Friends, never have the Gospels out of your eyesight. Read the Gospels regularly. Always, whether you're in a Bible reading plan that's in the Old Testament or not, spend some time reading of Jesus' life and ministry in the Gospels. Learn to love Jesus passionately. Look how he treated people. Look how he was humbly giving himself out to any who asked. Love Jesus passionately. It's easy to do, by the way. Fourth, Follow godly examples carefully. Follow godly examples carefully. This is also a spike that's already been driven in this book, but I'm reemphasizing it here. Do you remember Paul said in chapter 2, verse 17, that he was pouring out himself as a drink offering? I just referred to that earlier. That's an example you should follow. And then he gives two more godly examples of Epaphroditus and Timothy, who sacrificed for the benefit of the Philippians. Imitate them. And then in verse 17 of chapter 3, he says, every church is full of godly examples. Imitate them. And then to make sure that you're listening, Paul in in verse 17 kind of slips under the radar this idea that you ought to be worth imitating. Is anybody imitating you? If not, why not? Are you imitating Jesus? Are you imitating Paul? Are you imitating Timothy and Paphroditus? Are you imitating anybody else that's a godly man or woman? Then people will be imitating you. You are the standard for the next generation. How will Christianity look if they all look like you in 20 years? Are you worthy of imitation? And the fifth spike that secures this rail for the gospel-trained stability is understand the gospel thoroughly. Understand the gospel thoroughly. I, I, I'm convinced that most of you understand the gospel thoroughly. If you've been at Sun Valley Church long enough, you've heard the gospel presented many different ways and many different times. But do you personally grasp the depth and implications of the gospel? This is what Paul wanted you to hear in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Let me read it for you. Look there with me, if you would, in your Bibles, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now listen, verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the, uh, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Do you understand the gospel thoroughly? Oh, friends, if there's one spike that you must drive home and make sure it is secure, it is that. You got to get the gospel. You got to understand the depth of your sin and the love of God in Christ. You got to understand His holiness and the offense of your sin against Him. You got to understand that the only solution to that is what? Your confession and repentance through Jesus Christ depending on a righteousness that is from him, not your own righteousness. It's an alien righteousness, not something you can work for. Do you understand the gospel? You can't work your way there. You must have Christ. You must turn from your sin and lay it all at Jesus' feet. You must embrace him at every level. At Sun Valley, we try to show you every Sunday the different facets facets of this gospel diamond. It's as if I'm holding up a large, beautiful diamond with all its different facets, and every week I turn it one degree more. And you see the beauty of that angle. And then I turn it again from the next passage, and you see the beauty of that angle. And if you stay long enough, you will understand and embrace and treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ. We explain it from Scripture every week. I hope that you're seeing the gospel dramatized in our liturgy. Do you recognize the gospel in our liturgy, Sun Valley Church? If not, I'm not sure what to call you. Bored? Bored? I'm not certain. I was going to use another denominational name, but I'll avoid that. Our liturgy presents the gospel. What do we do every week, Sun Valley? We exalt the greatness of God. The first thing out of the chute, we exalt the greatness of God through word and song. Then we acknowledge our sin before Him and and ask forgiveness. We confess and turn from our sin and are promised through the Word to be received by a gracious and loving and forgiving God. We remind you of this weekly because it is so important to understand the Gospel thoroughly. We, We want you to see that Salvation is by grace alone, not by something you can produce. Even coming to a good church like Sun Valley doesn't produce faith or grace. It is a gift from God. We we see in verses 8 through 10 the concept of justification, which points I've already addressed, at least by reference. But what does justification tell us? The same thing verses 8 through 10 tell us that we are declared righteous, even though we're not, we're unrighteous, but we're declared righteous by faith in Christ. We're declared innocent of all sin, even though we're not innocent because of who we are, our fallen sin nature, but because of Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. We are declared innocent. That's justification. On the cross, Jesus defeated sin He punished it. He removed the sins for everyone that will put their trust in him. And since God punished our sins in Christ on the cross, he will not punish those same sins in our lives when we face him one day on Judgment Day. Your sins, have you trusted Christ? Your sins were punished in Christ. You will not be held accountable for those sins ever again. Jesus took them from you. Says in Colossians chapter two verse fourteen that he nailed him to the cross. Can I hear one amen? I, I kind of heard the muffled amen thing because of that, but I'll take it. Friends, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we receive forgiveness of sin. We receive the grace of God. We receive everything we need for life and godliness. We receive an eternity with the loving savior so do you want to stand firm our culture is making it difficult do you want to stand firm your own temp- your own sinful temptations have always made that difficult but paul gives us here the two tracks to standing firm track number 1 focus on god's people Love and long for God's people. Be a joy and reward to God's people. The second track, focus on God. The first track was focusing on God's people. The second track is focusing on God. Be joyful in all your God-given circumstances. First spike. Second spike, imitate Christ. Third spike, love Jesus. Fourth spike, follow godly examples including Christ. Fifth spike, know the gospel of Jesus Christ thoroughly. Friends, if these two rails are spiked down as they should be, you will stand firm no matter what you face. Let's pray. Loving Father, loving Son, and loving Spirit, we are so grateful that you have allowed us to gather today and be together and witness the fellowship of the saints firsthand to hear the word of god preached to hear the gospel sung to hear the gospel read to hear the scriptures expounded father what a blessing it is for us who have missed this so greatly i pray that each and every person who is here this morning will have heard paul's call to stand firm i pray that we will apply these gospel truths to our lives today that we will cement them in our hearts once again, even as we drive home and speak to these th- about these things to those in our car. Bless our church, protect our church, uh, glorify Jesus in us, I pray, Father. And I pray this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.